today's episode of the Quad Corner. Today's guest is a poet and the founder of Free Poets Collective. He is also host and founder at the Listening Tree Talk Show and the Goodwill Ambassador of the Women's Scream Festival. Not one to rest on his laurels, though. He is also the host and creator of CCIS, which stands for Connecticut Cryptid Investigative Society. So without further ado, please welcome the multi-talented Colin Haskins to the Claws Corner. Well, I know you said Black Rock State Park was a 4.9 in the Squatchometer. So that marriage is right up there with that? It is. It is right up there with that. Um, We've done, yeah, according to the camera person here, three videos we've done just on merit and we're still developing something i'll share with you um and you heard it here we're this, this is a ceaseless innovation i'm sharing with you i love it so I, know, I know the whole world's going to hear about it so don't tell anybody secret safe with me <laughs> I think it's uh, we um i'm being told not don't say it i have to say I, it. don't don't listen to- don't listen to the voices in your head say it <laughs> uh we are we have innovated what we call the Meriden Triangle mm-hmm. of where we think this stuff will happen is going to be um, <clears throat> the tower, the, the Hubbard, you know, <clears throat> the castle, Castle Craig, <clears throat> Black Pond, and Sleeping Giant. Compose, uh, the, the, that's the, comprised the area in between those three points is the, the Meriden Triangle that we have sort of designated that you know, as that, as, as the Meriden Triangle. Very creepy things happen right there. There used to be um, uh, an asylum for people with mental health issues. Back then it would have been just, you know, the asylum, um, Undercliff Asylum over there. And it was so, and Re- Nicholas Robert will love this, it was so haunted they had to demolish the place. And really? there's nothing left but just remnants of the foundation there. But it was so bad that, it, you know, you're given all of the paranormal stuff that happens on that mountain as it is, all the sadness. It's just, I mean, could you pick a worse place, really? And it just doesn't exist anymore. I think it's, I think you, you can access parts of it from the Target parking lot. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, now I was going to ask you about that. The Meriden Triangle. Say, forget the Bermuda Triangle. Forget the Bridgewater Triangle. The Meriden Triangle. That's where all the action's happening. Thesis original we shared with you just for this podcast. We were gonna we were gonna save it for some of our own publications and, and release the info then. But hey, you know what? You're awesome, and and there it is. A clause corner exclusive. Thank you very much for Colin Haskins. Yes, I love it. Thank you very much. Going back to the black dog, I want to talk about the uh, house of the black dog. Where is that? Oh wow! So you um when we went for our investigation, of course. There is a road that you can go by. Um, if you go to the, as you enter the park, you go to the far end past the entrance, all the way back past the, the playground, you can just drive right up to it, right? Mm-hmm. Well, we didn't know that. Um, we thought it, I thought it was closed. Yep. Mr. I've lived there all these years. <laughs> um, so it was, it was pretty hot like today. And uh, we're going to do this easy climb, you know, so... We're going to start um, over by the duck ponds. There's some trails that lead up, and you can just hike up there. You can hike up or drive up, which I suggest you, if you're going to hike up, make sure you have a lot of water with you, which we didn't. I wasn't prepared for this, which I usually am prepared for this. So as you climb up 
getting towards the summit of, of where Castle Craig will be if you do the trail up there and you do the difficult trail. Uh, as you're approaching that summit, off to your left is this rectangular gap in, in the rock. Of course, now it's trip rock. We talk about rock falling away. Well, it tends to fall away in these sort of oval-shaped brick-sized pieces, right? Just they, they tend to be rounded and, you know, not much bigger than like a loaf of bread or something. But, of course, that's not a given rule, but they tend to be smaller, let's say. And where, where the rock falls away, uh, it tends to just be jagged. Like you could just rappel up that. No, you could just climb up that like, like somebody would do that would be very popular for somebody to want to climb that today. <clears throat> I don't recommend it, given the history. Not a good idea. It's not going to end good for you. Um, but as you approach the summit from the trail off to your left, as you're rounding the, you'll, it's clear as day. It's just where the cliff suddenly just jets out, just goes straight up there. There is this rectangular recess. And we were so dehydrated and frustrated with ourselves for getting caught off guard, which we rarely do when we hike, but we did, that we decided we just want to get to the top of this mountain, get this investigation done and figure out if we're going to be able to survive the way back. Um, and there, that was where the camera person said, um, that's the house of the black dog. As soon as she said that, I was like, wow, that, that really is the house of the black dog. So if you wanted to, let's say, access that, what I suggest you do is make sure you have a cooler full of nice cold water, drive up to the summit, and, and do the trail down from the parking lot. And as soon as you see where the bottom of the cliff is, I mean, it, it's just the geology is so unusual that you won't miss it or mistake it there is this very large rectangular recess um, and it's dark in there. And we unfortunately didn't go in. We, we were probably a little dehydrated. When we got to the top, we realized that we were talking to people that couldn't fact drive up, camera person still not talking to me. And that I had a big jug of frozen water in my backpack, so we were prepared. Um, and that was supposed to melt, so you had nice cold water when you needed a drink. Yeah. One of the tricks I like to do, throw a frozen jug of water in the, in the backpack. Yeah. So you kind of love the cooler with you. Um, so that's where it is. It's very, it would be very simple to access that. It would make for uh, some really good EVPs. We caught some EVPs on our investigation up there. Um, we heard somebody falling off the cliffs. You go back to our investigations. We replayed it. It's pretty convincing. It's pretty compelling evidence. It's not our, you know, this is more of like Nicholas Robert Grossman's area. Yeah. And some of the people, the, the paranormal people that I met there, they would love it there for that. Um, but we did get that stuff. We have it recorded. That's why I love your YouTube channel. I, as I mentioned, I went through a lot of videos. I love the investigations you go on. I love that you're able to show different things where it is. And uh, I think you should come out with a book. Do you have anything published yet in all these stories in all different places? You know, I have I have seven poetry books to my name that I published. And I did one, as I mentioned, probably mentioned briefly, that I did for the New Britain Museum of America. Yeah. And yes... Uh, we want to publish a book 
all about, you know, specifically Connecticut cryptids. And uh, that's, you know, we have some other stuff um, that I'm not going to reveal till the book is out. I didn't give you all my gems. I gave you that. The camera person's threatening my, threatening my life if I reveal everything. Um, Tell the we, camera person I thought we were friends. Come on. Yeah, I thought you were. She, she's uh, <clears throat> tough. She's not feeling it right now. <laughs> Me either. I'm in big trouble for the Meriden Triangle thing. There. <laughs> but we, we, we have some theories. Um, like one of them is the industrial industrialization of the East Coast. One of the, the Bigfoot things. I'll talk about that. That doesn't give much away. One of our theories is that as, as Western man, white man moved into the Americas, of course, Connecticut wasn't the first place, but where we really started to do some industrializing and some colonization is here, right here in New England on the East Coast. And, you know, our theories are that our squatches and our Ganaskuas got driven away. They just distanced themselves. So that pushed them further north, south, and west of us to sort of escape from that encroaching, you know, industry and pollution and all the wonderful things that our culture does to um, deforestation and, you know, contamination and all that. And that was, that's why um, you don't have uh, as many Bigfoot sightings here in New England as you do in the West Coast, but it is our theory that you certainly had them in the same abundance like the Atlantic salmon, you can draw a real correlation there. Um, and so you got more salmon on the West Coast and salmon on the, on the East Coast is the only one we have is the Atlantic salmon. And it's almost completely extinct except for the Penobscot River in Maine. And you could say, well, okay, so a large hominid would sort of parallel all animals the mountain lion, all animals would parallel that sort of same sort of, you know, habitat loss and, and escape. Yeah, that's a shame. But I wonder in another way, I wonder if this will cause, because an example would be with all the deforestation and we're building more and it seems like bears are becoming more and more common and also they're becoming more and more acclimated with humans. So they're not afraid of us as much as they used to be in 70s, 80s. I wonder if we're going to see a lot more Bigfoot and more cryptid sightings now that they're being forced out of the woods. And also I wonder if they'll become more and more, you know, used to uh, humans in a way, like not, not, not so much of afraid and taking off and hiding all the time. I wonder if that will be another effect of what's going on. I think so. I'm, I'm glad you brought up bears. <clears throat> bears are a large mammal and that needs a substantial forage base. Mm -hmm. And um, as you see, so they're sort of, they're cohabitating with squatches and other large moose and other large animals. Um, so if you're seeing a return of black bear and mountain lion, apex predators to an environment, then what you're seeing is the environment returning to a healthier state a larger forage base. If we could get the Atlantic salmon back, that would be awesome. And the only thing you gotta do is bust the dams. The dams are terrible. It's, what minimal amount of electricity you get out of them is, is just not even close to the amount of damage it's causing to the environment. Um, and so 
uh, and people have more cameras with them. They're out yeah. there more. And it seems to be hiking just in general just seems to be more popular than when you and I were younger. People did it, mm-hmm. um, but not the kind of way you do it today. You know, you, I think uh, people are, you know, we, we give, don't give ourselves enough credit. We say, oh, you know, we're always on our phones, but we're always on our phones out there too. We have the means to record these things now. And if you're seeing black bears, you're going to see squatches. They, they, they are very similar, albeit the black bear hibernates and primates don't as far as we know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's interesting. I know I was going to ask you about that because I did hear you say uh, in one of your videos that wherever there's a lot of bear activity, you'll see a lot of Bigfoot activity. So, Yeah, and wherever you see them, do you see property? Yeah. You mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I want to dig deeper into this because I find, as I do with everything you brought up so far, fascinating. But Mantis Man, that I thing really. Man. Let's I talk love about Mantis Man. Yeah. Mantis Man is a sort of, sort of a newcomer. Um, and the first I heard of Mantis Man was that some guy was fishing in new in um in new jersey of all places first of all i didn't even know that there were fish in new jersey (laughs) let alone anybody that would actually try to pursue them as a hobby and fish for them and i'm kidding right i know new jersey that's too bad you know what new jersey you got the pine barrens and and you got the jersey devil so you got a pretty cool cryptid right there we're going to give you kudos but so mantis man was first reported in this river in in um, New Jersey, and this guy was trout fishing, which again I find fascinating that there might have been a trout. <laughs> Maybe he has three eyes, but there's still trout. So he's still there. Let's see if I got a tick on me. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I really am. I'm like, this, don't be. A tick. The um, government's so, already after you. <laughs> they have those. Uh, uh, nice ticks. I'm pretty. I'm not worried. Maybe the MDC. Someday. <laughs> I might get a letter. Well, you know what? I'm kind of afraid that it might be the camera woman who's doing this too because of what you said earlier on the podcast. <laughs> Maybe she's sticking the ticks on you to shut you up. <laughs> yeah, she's saving them. She's saving them from Sessions Woods. Oh, one of them lived for 30 years in a laboratory with no food and water. It's crazy, a tick. Wow. I, I told um, you, I hate those things. I Even know. Before you, I heard your theory about that. I just said they are the worst creature alive. Lyme disease is nothing. In Connecticut, we have cases of Powassan disease, and, and you can just die from that. Period. Yeah. Like, that just kills you. Yeah. So, yeah, so don't don't get that. I, I go through a crazy, I have a, what I call the built-in tickometer. If I so much as feel a little tingle or something, I check it out. And that's been the best thing for me. Um, But let's get back to Mantis Man. Mantis Man is so cool. Uh, so the New Jersey mantis man was a, a reported as about six and a half feet tall, brownish green, which when you're a mantis, you know, you're not given a whole lot of color choices. It's either going to be a brownish green or green, unless you get into some of those cool ones that look like flowers in the forest, the rainforest. Um, so mantis man is, this guy's fishing, he's in a river. This thing sort of appears. Right, it sort of fades into sort of visible, you know, physicality. Um, so it seems to have the ability to sort of vanish at will, but it sort of manifested visibly. 
And uh, it was doing its sort of mantis man thing. A lot of cryptids, they don't, at first, dog men especially. Now, you would think being a big dog with a big nose, um, you would sort of be aware, you'd smell all these things. But dog men seem to be caught off guard quite a bit. Not so much squatch, but dog men, people are like, it was there doing its thing and didn't notice. Well, that's what this mantis man was doing. It was sort of just doing what a large six foot praying mantis will do, waiting for some woman to come bite his head off. You know, so <laughs> it's an eight foot woman going to bite his head off. Uh, what's going to happen to me tonight? So I'll be another case of, of headless cryptozoologist. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, Richard. I can't. I got to have fun with it. Oh, no, I'm, I want you to have fun. I, I love this. And I, I love the fact that you have a sense of humor about it. And you take you it. Have Great. Yeah, I have to. So this mantis man appeared to this guy. Once this mantis man sort of gets aware that somebody's looking at me because he's probably like, well, what the heck is a fisherman doing here? You know, there's not even a fish in this river. But So Mantis Man becomes aware of this person, this fisherman. And, and then it takes on this very hostile stance and it opens up its sort of winged areas, you know. So let's say it's, it's let's just say anatomically a praying mantis, like, like, like people report on the UFOs, right? The, the, the guys that are sort of in charge of the little gray guys mm -hmm. are usually praying mantis types, about the same size. So here's, here's a nice cryptid overlap. This mantis man sees this guy, opens up his freaking wings, shows him his chest, looks at him, you know, like, come at me, like, all oh, full Rambo, you know? Yeah. He's like, <laughs> he's like flexing what insect muscles he's got. And this guy... This guy was terrified and, you know, um, so this thing watching, he's shocked and he sort of, this thing, you know, this standoff is happening. Mantis man turns invisible and he can hear him splashing away and this guy's left traumatized in New Jersey with nobody believing him. Our report um, was really, so we got a direct report of a mantis man um, in... New London, of course. Right? Yes. That's there's some crazy stuff happening. Go to New London, man. There's some crazy stuff happening there. This mantis man was seen jumping over um, like a hedge, and it was at getting dark, summertime. I forget the exact date, and it sort of was scurrying along the road. It was described as it had just recently rained and there was a little water going to a sewer and the thing stopped and repeated the same sort of, you know, I'm a, I'm a little three foot. I'm a little mini mantis man, mini me mantis man. But he displayed <laughs> the, same, the same kind of I'll kick your ass, you know, sort of behavior and, you know, then turned and didn't disappear, but then scurried down into the sewer down into the, the drain pipes. And drain pipes and crazy animals go hand in hand way back since the beginning of sewers, you know, just and before that, probably just dank rivers coming out of caves and stuff. Um, there's a lot going on with sewers. But yeah, Mantis Man, he's he's one of my absolute favorite cryptids. Totally cool. Yeah, it's definitely one of my favorites too. It sounds like Mantis Man has a Napoleon complex. <laughs> Until <laughs> well, he gets six and a half feet taller, yeah, and then he doesn't have much to worry about, you know, except his, his girlfriend. 
Yeah. Well, I think that's not going to end well for him. I think Hart should write a song called Mantis Man. Forget Magic Man. That Mantis Man would be the bigger hit, I think. I absolutely listen. Oh, so I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, you hobnob with some real celebrities, but I got to tell you, Sasquatch is a big time celebrity. Oh, yeah. He's famous. That's when I want to get a picture. I haven't got a picture with Bigfoot yet, but I'm working on it. You get that, man. You got the you got the selfie of selfies. Man, I saw you with Lita Ford, and yeah, that was oh, yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I'm like, I, I got to up the game on my uh, my celebrities, but you know, other than Bigfoot, the rest of them are just kind of obscure. You know. Well, you know what though? Let's, we'll we'll uh, help each other out. I'll I'll meet. I'll have you meet my celebrity friends, and then you can have me meet your celebrity friends, like Bigfoot, oh. this man. And a wild man, all that, all the fun guys. Oh, absolutely. Oh, you know, I'll tell you the Winston Wildman. As I'm doing research, we have volumes of stuff from the libraries and the historical society on the Winston Wildman. And one of the craziest things that we have is that the Winston Wildman um, is married to the Witch of Winchester. <laughs> I cannot find a whole lot of stuff on that, um, but Winchester is just a couple towns over from Winston. And I was like, wow, I really, I got to follow up. And so there's some stuff that we haven't followed up. And I don't even know anything about the Witch of Winchester. No, I never even heard of her. Now, that story you mentioned earlier about the Winstead Wildman, what year was that? When the uh, guy- That would have been in like in the 1840s. Okay. If I remember correctly. So, you know, pre- before automobiles. So yeah. foot traffic and, and paths with horses and carts would have been the way to go back then. Yeah. But you're saying, according to the the legend or the story, that he spoke English. Yeah. Which way to town? Yeah, yeah. Well, and so so now, see, that's a funny overlap, because you asked me about Neanderthals, yep. which would have absolutely the ability to have a language. Uh, we don't know. Yeah. Um, and you, you know a Bigfoot, which... Some of the Winston Wildman accounts are just very Bigfoot. You know, there's this big guy, and they seem to be really into the blueberries of the area. Um, they're just when the blueberries are ripe, you got squatch all over the place. Um, and so those uh, those reports are varied. They're like Neanderthal wild man that can communicate, or just outright, you know, ape of the forest. It, it, it sort of covers all three. Yeah, that's interesting. Now I want to talk about a story that was so big it, that it made it to Channel 30 News. It was the West Hartford, West Hartford Reservoir. Yes, that's the one I talk about, the, the oh. lake lady that gave the evidence to uh, the MDC, Tourist Information Center. Okay. And um, I'm absolutely going to go there with cameras rolling, with copies of the photographs, and ask to see them and when they deny all knowledge of it and i'll be like well what i want to see are copies of these photographs that i have right here uh submitted on this date by this person and uh, you know it's, it was on the news so i was just wondering if i could see them i know you're saying they don't exist but how do you explain this body of evidence in our own videos that say they do and i can absolutely guarantee you that they're going to deny the crap out of this okay. they're not going to produce the photographs and they're going to try to make me the crazy one and this they're too late i'm i'm so crazy that you know they, they could never catch up <laughs> they're so <laughs> far behind they just started yeah, about 20 please. 25 years yeah. ago yeah 
You're so Patterson Giblin already, you know. <laughs> Um, what's his? I forgot what his first name is, but is it Lazarus? Uh, he worked at Area 51, and he's the one that exposed everything about UFOs, and they basically erased yeah. his identity. Bob Lazar. Oh, that poor guy. Yeah. Bob Lazar. That's it. Lazar. So it's, it's so like that's going to happen to you, and hopefully it doesn't. But we're no, there's no. Yeah. Ankle bracelet. Oh, before before I, give me an ankle bracelet before and it goes off before I hit MDC property or something like like that. Thankfully, I work for myself, so I would only, I'd have to fire myself, Richard. Uh, you know, so I, the, the chances of losing my job are slim, yeah. um, but it could happen. I mean, I might get fed up with my own nonsense and be like, that's enough. I want to bring my, can you, can we step into the office and, you know, have a talk? Yeah. You know, I saw some of the videos and well, I can't have you in these people's houses. You know, you're going to take plaster footprints of the owner's feet and stuff. You know? But you know what the funny thing is, is say, I bet you if something ever did happen like that, most of the people that you're probably working with are like, I agree with everything you're saying, or I saw this, but they're probably too afraid to say anything. So your bosses, even though this hasn't happened, hopefully it never does, but your boss is thinking, oh my God, they're going to think you're a weirdo. They're probably like, thank God there's somebody out there like you, because I wanted to say this for years, but I was afraid to, like you always said, you're the crazy lady, the crazy Bigfoot lady that isn't afraid to tell people the story. So just unfortunately, I think some people don't give other people credit enough to, to be able to one, take it or believe it, or just like, or worried about like, oh my God, Colin's out of his mind. It's like, no, oh, yeah. not. So, and that should be apparently obvious anyway, within just a couple of minutes of talking to me. That's for, a, that's for a lot of other reasons. Nothing to do with Bigfoot though. Um, <laughs> but no, that's interesting because uh, my last job when I was employed by somebody uh, I never mentioned this stuff. If you see the videos, you see it, but I just don't bring it up. Yeah. I work, I'm at work. <clears throat> if you ask me about it, I'm going to blab on till, till the end of the day. Mm -hmm. um, so my boss just randomly, uh, he just starts talking about an encounter that his daughter had of a dog with a lion's mane. And I forget where exactly it was down there, West Haven area. Wow. And, you know, he just randomly one day asked me, like, he just looked at me, we stopped work. And he's just, so my daughter saw this thing and doesn't know what it is. Well, would you know anything about that? And I'm thinking to myself, well, you must, you must know that you must have seen the videos and you must feel comfortable enough to sort of ask me what I thought. And I said, the idea of a dog with a very large furry mane, I, I have absolutely no problem with that. Of all the animals that are out there that tend to sort of evolve into cryptids or get creepy, the canines seem to have the most ability to do that. Mm -hmm. they, they, they will transform a lot. They, they will evolve into some crazy things yeah. readily. Well, that's another perfect segue. You're really good at this. I like I like interviewing you. <laughs> I'm having fun here, Richard. So I'm, I'm loving that's it. That's the way. Yeah, I'm here all night. I'll be here next week and consume, come see me until management kicks me out. We'll probably still be. I'll probably still be interviewing you, but at that time, so <laughs> it's gonna be like it's gonna be longer than the Jerry Lewis telethon. <laughs> it is with less money. <laughs> We're in, yeah, exactly. We're into day seven of the uh, Colin Haskins Rich. Oh yeah. 
I'll actually evolve into a Bigfoot. I won't shave her and just like get all squatchy on you, you know. It's gonna be like the end of the howling. Which way to town? Yeah, go the other way. Now, the reason I thought that was a great segue is because you mentioned evolving, and I did see the video on this, and, I, and you mentioned it a little bit, but I want to go dig a little deeper into the shape-shifting. Yes. Now, let's talk about what's the difference between shape-shifters and cryptids. Well, you know, so after after our, our Meriden encounter where I was like, what are all these? We couldn't exactly find a solid black butterfly. You can just go on Google Images and get there's black swallowtails. There's a whole bunch of black butterflies, but none solid black. Um, that's when the idea sort of started to jumble around in this 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 Sasquatch head up here. That you know you're dealing with something that can change its shape at will. So you're dealing with something that possibly isn't physical. So uh, thinking about this shape shifting. It really bothered me because, as I mentioned several times, we like to keep it into biology. Mm. So I'm like, so shape-shifting in nature, does this happen? And, of course, and I'm like, well, it happens all the time. It, it happens with caterpillars shape-shifting into butterflies, moths. Um, it happens with reptiles. Frogs are born like little tadpoles, and then these legs pop out, and then the tail disappears. That's just sucked in, and then it goes from completely aquatic to, you know, amphibious. And fish, fish, the flounder, crazy shape-shifting. Its eye moves on top of its head, and it flattens out one side of its body yeah. until it's a flat fish looking up with the eyes on top of one side of its head, it literally moves the eye around over a, a, a period of what can only be described as evolution. Yeah. And I could go insects of all types, mosquitoes. And I mean, you just, it's, it's in your face once you start to think about it. So like after a couple of minutes of speculating, like it just happens in nature all the time. Biology shapeshifts all the freaking time. It's something that is just part of life here on the planet. So to say, you know, to think, well, you know, that can't happen. Well, nature shows you it can and most certainly does happen a lot. Animals, some, some fish can, depending on water temperature or the need, can change their sex. And I was going to tell you, I was going to ask you about that because I think frogs are one of those animals, right? Are frogs it, in them. it tends to happen with aquatic creatures a little bit more than, than the terrestrial creatures. Yeah, why is that? I can't completely wrap my head around that. Okay. I just don't know. Water is a weird thing. Um, cryptids and water are just tied together. Uh, so just like that whole missing 411 thing, it's, wow, water strange. So I don't no, yeah. There's a lot that I'm still trying to sort through, you know, my own theories. Yeah. Well, why and how are animals shape-shifting due to climate change? Oh, wow. Well, that would be, oh, well, climate change, temperature can do a lot. I mean, look at, oh, so this year, you want a good example, the, the, the sockeye salmon runs on the West Coast 
are the largest ever recorded, uh, you know, in, in recorded history. And then some of the, the places just slightly upstream from them have depleted runs almost to where they're non-existent. Uh, and that's all temperature related. You are getting, I'm a diver. So I'm an advanced open water scuba diver. And on one of my last dives for my training, we went to Rhode Island in about this time of year. I think it might've been September. And we were down pretty deep, 130 feet. We are gathering, we were there as Mystic Marine Aquarium was there, gathering tropical fish that follow the currents up uh, in the summer. And then it gets so cold that the fish don't have, they're cold blooded. So they don't have the strength and mobility or the temperature, the, the muscle manipulation to swim back and they end up dying here. And these local aquariums will go gather up their tropical fish right off the coast of Connecticut and Rhode Island. And that's all temperature related. Where I'm from in Maine, there were never any striped bass up there. Now that's a major fisheries. It all used to be the mackerel that were coming back and, the, and, and other fish, pollock would follow the mackerel and they follow the herring. Well, now there's striped bass up there. And uh, the Connecticut River, right here in Connecticut, they shut the herring, the river herring, the Elwife and Shad fisheries down um, because of depleted resources in the fish fisheries and an increase in striper activity. So all of that can be tied into these, these animals moving into terrain, warm animals moving up north because now it's the same temperature they're accustomed to. And the animals that are here are gonna wanna go move even further north. So Connecticut's always had a striper's fishery, but yeah. only in my recent years, in my lifetime, are you able to catch them in Lubeck where I'm from? And they're pretty, they're abundant now. There's no other way to explain it. If nature is displaying the truth of this climate change to you, then, you know, don't listen to the politicians that say it doesn't exist or isn't having an effect. It's right here. It's right here in Connecticut. You don't have the shad runs. And this is after they destroyed the Enfield Dam. But you have more striper. Striper like the water a little bit warmer. And now they're all the way up in Maine. Mm -hmm. There's not historically a, a place where they were. I didn't even think about that because I wonder if birds that flew south for the winter, I wonder if they're going to be just staying here all year round now because it's, it's I mean, it's warm until at least the end of December, most recently in the last couple of years. And then January had like maybe a snowstorm here and there, but compared to how it was in the 60s, 70s, even 80s, it's, we really don't have winters anymore. It's basically yes. spring, or no, summer and a little bit of cold, like a little bit of cold, maybe like a couple snowstorms here and there. Like where I grew up in Wolcott, we, we had a pond. We used to ice skate and play hockey, go sledding. I can't remember the last time that pond was actually frozen throughout the whole year. Back in the 70s when I was little, we used to be ice skating before Thanksgiving. Now, throughout the whole year, it's probably maybe like an inch or two thick. Then it gets warm, it melts. gets three or four inches thick, it melts. So, yeah, it's just – I laugh because of – this is another whole conversation we can get into for hours. But these politicians – and there was one example. I can't remember what his name is, but he actually brought a snowball and said, oh, this proves climate derb 
global warming isn't real. It's like it's called climate change, asshole. It's yeah. like people, people don't know the difference. It just gets me angry. But yeah, there's you can tell. That's why I, I saw that video on um, how shape shifting is climate change is affecting shape shifting. I thought that was very interesting, and I liked how these animals can adapt to what's going on in their surroundings. But they have no choice. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, if it's survival. Yep. What are they going to do? Just cease to exist, not reproduce? You know, biology doesn't understand that it's there to reproduce. And uh, so these animals, you know, like Jeff Goldblum said, it's going to find life finds a way. It finds a way in Jurassic Park, um, yeah. You know, walk it. So walk it in your Scoville Reservoir. You have you have yeah. both in there in that pond. Mm-hmm. What the heck are they doing there? And how the heck did they get there? Bowfin is a South Asian fish. Bowfin. Yeah. It's related to snakeheads. Wow. I, I didn't realize cool. that. Yeah. There's a lot of interesting things. Now, you, you mentioned um, cryptids in the water. Let's talk about sea serpents and monsters. Any sightings in Connecticut? Oh, yes. I talked about Seville Reservoir. One of our first videos is of some very large-looking creatures appeared to be occupying Seville Reservoir. We, one of our videos, we were there, but we videotaped this stuff. And they look like, they look like manatees without sort of appendages, just sort of oval shapes, sort of like a whale without a tail. Wait, so you have this on video? Yeah. I got to check it out. That one I didn't so see. Really, one of the very first episodes, when we first started, we did a lot of stuff with the aquatic um, animals. We went down to the Connecticut River Museum where there's a whole display of the um, Connecticut sea serpents that were seen in the 18. A lot of stuff happened in the 1800s. So a lot of this wildlife was still there and there was increased population of Westerners who then would encounter these things. And of course, as time went on and I talked about the industrialization, you get less and less animals, period. Not just cryptids, not just sea serpents, so just in general. It's only recently now we're seeing bobcats and and the return of the mountain lion. And, and hopefully uh, there was one red, one salmon, Atlantic salmon nests are called reds. There was one red reported in the in the Farmington River. So there's this great news. When we bring the salmon back, everything else comes with it. All eagles, I mean, animals that are here but no longer have that forage base to depend on. Yeah. Now, question for you. I want your opinion on this, because I hear so many stories about the Loch Ness Monster. Somebody supposedly admitted that it was his child's toy. What's your opinion on that? Do you think there really is a monster at Loch Ness? And if so, what do you think it is? Oh, um, so the toy, the, the, the surgeon's photograph from the 30s, I mean, is absolutely... 100% proven to be a hoax. Yeah. Um, and so what happens is, uh, why would somebody make a hoax? Usually it's because there's a history of something already there. Um, those reports of, of the, the Loch Ness Monster, and of course, um, you know, Loch Lorry has the harpies, a very similar type creature, just up, the, just up several miles away from Loch Ness. It hardly gets mentioned. Um, yeah, I don't see why um, 
there can't be uh, undiscovered animals in lakes, rivers, and streams. Loch Ness, like Lake Champlain, used to be completely open to the ocean. Uh, Lake Champlain through the St. Lawrence Waterway went right into the ocean, not far from where Dugamont, Maine. Uh, spills out right there. And um, you're gonna have historically anadromous fish and salmon, and these creatures would have followed the anadromous fish, fish that go from the ocean to freshwater and back to the ocean again. Uh, anytime you have a forage base like salmon or herring, you're going to have things like striped bass. You're going to have things, um, maybe some amphibious holdover animals, plesiosaur, zoblodon, those types of things. My personal favorite is Tanistrophius, which I believe is in Lake Champlain. What's that? Uh, it's, it's a lake monster. It was a, a, a dinosaur that sort of walked around with, with oh. didn't have fins that had little stubby legs. And so you see the, the, the Lake Champagne footage is just a sort of this knob and walking around thing. And that's as the creatures are walking around with them, hitting deep spots and coming back up. Hmm. Of course, what you see, the historical representations of, of Loch Ness would be more of a plesiosaur, uh, which is the air breathing thing. And Tanistrophius and Zolodon are also air breathing. So there, there is sort of the, the, the difficult rock, if you will, to get around is that, yeah, there are these sightings, um, but biologically there should be a lot more sightings uh, of an air, like an orca. You had an orca swimming around um, Scoville Reservoir in Walkett. You're, you're gonna know about it. Oh yeah. You're, you're gonna need a pot of orcas swimming around blowing through their blowholes and carrying on and splashing like they do. This is going to be in the newspapers. People are going to be down there. It's going to be a big deal. Yeah. Well, I'm surprised because I'm not sure if they still do this. At one time, they had a camera on Loch Ness for 24 hours. It was just on there all the time. You could go online and watch it. I think I yeah. did it for a little while. I'm not sure if they're still doing that, but I'm surprised that never picked anything up. Or if it did, I didn't hear about it. It did. Nessie Cam. I've been on Nessie Cam. Okay. Uh, I don't know if it's still going. You, like you said, it was sort of a fad. They caught a fin, triangular fin-shaped thing on this cam. Okay. Um, but the lakes on the MDC property, Scoville Reservoir, they have cameras pinned on the whole lake. Yeah. If you could somehow get into that, you know, it's supposed to, it's a, it's a taxpayer-funded thing. It, it obviously deals with our water and their, their waterways and their buffers. <clears throat> their watersheds that they fence off miles at a time. A lot of their stuff is on camera. And it'd be really interesting if we could crack that egg, um, start them talking about what's in that compensating reservoir. You might, you might just get a lot more information than you bargained for. I think, me personally, that's where the good stuff is. Yeah. Getting 900 miles of no trespassing. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of land. That's 900 square miles. That's not acres. And even in acres, that's a lot. And you're talking about some of the nicest, most beautiful waterways and woodlands in Connecticut and Massachusetts. And it's fenced off and no trespassing. Mm -hmm. That's where the good stuff's happening. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, well, but I think you and I have to have to go on the go undercover. That's what we're doing. <laughs> Maybe it will turn into NCIS. 
I'll bring you right up to the border. Wink, wink. You won't go past there. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to see here. Keep moving. <laughs> yeah, you could call that. We find a lot of structures, a lot of Bigfoot structures leading right into the heart of their property. You know, because we have theories that these, let's say you snap a tree. You're yeah. a Bigfoot. You can you can move that tree 360 degrees like a clock. Yeah. You could say maybe the the bend, the, the high-end taper shows you a course of direction. You can really be pretty accurate. And if you follow them for any length of time, um, barring that you, you want to drift, try to stay straight, you're going to bump into something else just like it. A lot of those bends go right into their property, right into the heart of it. So are you saying that Bigfoots actually build houses or things to live in, or do they roam around more? Oh, they build structures. They build structures? Okay. They build, they're called Bigfoot structures. Uh, they build nests. They build a lot of markers along paths to try to communicate with us stupid humans. Our, they're our cousins, our stupid cousins, like like my cousins in Maine, you know. Like cousin Tubby. Cousin Tubby. <laughs> <laughs> um, like that, you know, they're trying to communicate in a way that, you know, like big bends, twisted trees that are, you know, this thick that no human could possibly, the bend is up there 11 feet tall. Mm -hmm. I've seen trees woven in between trees, wow. X's, teepee structures, stone piles, um, on Doubtedly, some form of communication. What I'm narrowing it down to is, is these bent trees pointing towards the direction of, I can only say, a, a, a course of travel or to hunting grounds. Mm -hmm. the, otherwise, it would make no sense. Oh, and I think it's an attempt to keep us on our human trails and not to vary off the trails. And let me tell you something. Off trail is where the cool stuff happens. Yes. Yeah, don't, don't get lost like I do all the time. Oh, well, me too. As I told you, I only mentioned that one story. I could tell you a story where <laughs> I went to the Indian Council Caves in Barkhamstead. It took the state police, the local police, and the DEP to find me and four other people. We were hiking from 3 p.m. and they finally found us at 9 p.m. So yeah, I have a I have a habit of getting lost, and for the most part, I love it because, like you said, I find all these interesting things, and that's where all the cool stuff is. So getting to that. When you find these structures, how deep in the woods are they? Uh, okay, like in Litchfield uh, Land Trust, um, the upper Bantam River Preserve, they appear to be right along the trail, okay. right off the trail. And if you follow them off trail, they lead to some pretty significant structures. Um, some of the X's that we're finding are pretty far off trail. So they're not the kinds of things um, that, that you're gonna just encounter. Yeah. There seems to be the, the uh, awful lot of like warning signs on trails, human trails, like, please don't go here. You know, I don't know quite how to explain it, but the upper Bantam, they're right on the um, right on right on the trail. And then other times they're not. Yeah. Well, I wonder how many times I was actually walking through the woods and I saw something like that and just didn't think twice about it. Now I'm going to pay a lot more attention to when I'm walking in the woods because I'm sure I, I did see a couple of videos of the foundations and I have seen things like that, but I probably just walked by and said, Oh, well, must've been a storm. Must've been a hurricane or something like that. That's probably what I thought. Cause I've seen things like that. But that's 
I'm glad you brought that up because as you mentioned, and I mentioned to you, I go through the woods a lot and I probably see things, but now I'll pay more attention to my surroundings. Well, uh, I want, go ahead. Well, so you're a squatch, all right? You're out there. You're going to try to communicate either to a human or other, other primates, others of your pod, if you will. Um, what do you have at hand? You have trees, you have rocks, you have mud, you have raccoons that you can throw at people. You have whatever's in the environment. Um, so that's, it's not gonna look immediately any different than your surroundings. In fact, uh, if it wasn't for a gentleman in the Hudson Valley pointing out to us, or in another fellow named Aggressive Vein, Aggressive Vein, you're doing awesome work up there, um, with the X's and the twisted things, we started paying more attention to it uh, recently in our investigations. We always did, but a lot more. And it's really fascinating. Once you open your eyes, you have to just see these trees and rocks a little bit differently. That's all they have. When you see a 40-foot tree stuck in the ground from the top of the tree and the roots are, are up there, straight up and this thing is driven into the ground i mean wind doesn't explain it storm doesn't strain it's just going to fall over you can go in the forest and see trees and falling over all the time they're as obvious as the day is long there's a whole bunch of trees to follow in that direction all of a sudden there's this one and the roots are just up there or it's an it's a teepee and all the roots are up there none it just makes no sense at all or huge trees that are just suspended like they just don't fall that way. I was in the woods one time fishing and I saw a tree just randomly fall. That is very rare. And it just fell over and it made a hell of a noise. So yes, they, they make a lot of noise when they fall, believe me. Um, I guess that, that old saying, if a tree falls in the woods and nobody's around, can you hear it? Oh, you can hear it. Yeah, you can hear it. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. It's loud and everything goes, all the birds take off and everything. So. From what I've seen, yeah, you can definitely hear it. And uh, it was pretty scary, actually. I was just taken back, and I was pretty close to it, too. Wow. Well, speaking of large birds, let's talk about the Thunderbirds. Oh. So, um, as you know, I, I did have an encounter. And uh, there, where I'm from, so that's the Passamaquoddy Tribal Reservation is up there. And they have a long history of the Thunderbird, um, which appears to be a raptor. What, what doesn't get talked about a whole lot. Um, so you're talking about a bird the size of a hang glider. Just wrap your mind around this. The size of a hang glider, a wingspan of a hang glider. Uh, it could easily pick you up. <clears throat> there are two types of these birds. And one of them, the Thunderbird, brings rains and all this beautiful stuff is very good for your crops and very good to see and all this good stuff happens. Um, but then there's a there's, there's a sort of a bad version of, of a Thunderbird and very nocturnal. And um, as I was in Maine and I was married, just angry little wife, you know, it's a little grumpy thing. So it didn't work out in the long run, but that's okay. Um, <clears throat> I was in my honeymoon up there, and I mean, I was, I have friends that, that gave me a campsite. They own a campground, and I was up on the cliffs 
overlooking the Bay of Fundy. The cliffs were significant. I mean, they were hundreds of feet off the ground. <clears throat> and of course, you're in forest here larger than the state of Connecticut. It's massive. The forest alone is bigger than Connecticut, where I was. And so as anybody that's recently married knows that on your honeymoon, you sit outside the tent while your wife goes to sleep on the inside of the tent. So you stay as far away from each other as possible. Your, your typical honeymoon. It's just laid out as, as, as cliche as Well, I'm no psychic, but I would have guessed that marriage wouldn't have worked out. That's your honeymoon night. Yeah, it wasn't going to work out. <laughs> so as the night's going on, and I mean, I'm just sitting by this fire. I got a nice heap of wood and I'm just putting it on. I'm having, you know, a couple beers and I'm having some fun of it, man, if you know what I mean. <clears throat> It's a cool state that got their priorities straight. As I'm watching this moon rise up, beautiful full moon, and I'm just, it's getting up near the top of this tree, just like a postcard, you know? Quiet, fire's burning, wife's grumbling something about, I don't know, what, whatever, what to get myself into. Um, <laughs> what was I thinking? <laughs> what was I thinking? And, um, now I just sobered up. Where am I? Why am I? Why am I married? <laughs> now I'm having a couple beers. All right. And I'm maybe more than a few. I mean, I, what else am I? I'm just sit by this fire all night. I'm certainly not going in that tent with, you know, yeah. that joyful encounter waiting for me. Um, so I figured I'd just fall asleep right in the camping chair. And I'm watching the moon rise up. And as, as the moon's approaching, this one tree that just, there's always that one tree that's huge, right? It's just the monster, the king of trees over there. Some type of pine tree. Um, yeah, I'm like, wow, that up there, you get a lot of burled wood. You get a lot of these anomalous growths. The tops of these pine trees will just flare up all of a sudden. You know, you, there's your typical Christmas tree, but then all of a sudden there's this weird crown, of, you know, where, where a a bug or something will get in there and the tree just grows weird. <clears throat> so at first, I'm like, well, that's, you know, I'm looking at this, I'm like, that's a weird looking burl, you know, it's a weird growth. It kind of has the look of a bird, you know, and I'm watching this and I'm like, the moon's coming. It's just, just like a movie, right? The moon's coming right over the silhouette of this. Now I'm like, this is a bird, you know, it had the beak, Predator beak. I could not see any colors. It was pretty darn late at night or very, very early in the morning. Nothing, nothing by coyotes out there and just forest. Nobody back there. And, you know, I'm, I'm hearing this rustling noise as this moon just perfectly lays out the silhouette for me. I'm like, wow, that is the biggest damn eagle I ever saw in my life. And there's a lot of eagles up there. And this this had the stature of an eagle, like the most badass eagle you are ever going to see. And um, <clears throat> at some point, I'm just watching the silhouette. This thing is, I thought it was still, I just thought it was a growth. I'm like, but man, that is just, you know, I couldn't get over it. It just looked like a huge raptor. Um, at some point, these the wings just shot straight up. So I know this thing's alive now, just whoop, and then it just whooshed, right? So this had to be 70 feet off the ground, mm -hmm. maybe, you know, 
four or five car lengths away from where I was. I was relatively close, but it was very high up. When that thing whooshed its wings, the whole, first of all, the first thing that happened is the whole tree was started moving back and forth once it let go. Big monster tree. The fire was almost completely extinguished and the, all the sparks just flew up on top of the tent where that gorgeous thing was sleeping, you know? And sparks and stuff are going, and she's like, God damn it, God, what the hell's going on? What are you doing? I was already in trouble just marrying her, you know? So just, I'm just- uh, Young I'm, love. I, it, was, it was so beautiful, I miss her. I, I hope she's well, I, you know, I, I miss her. You know? <laughs> and if you're out there, you're awesome. Um, so she's like, the tent's got all these burn marks, all the, deflated the air mattress with the cinders that were in there, got all over me. Uh, like hot ashes and night burn marks all over me and um it was just as it would whoosh you know it was flying over the bay to take off and it, it was just like it just left like you imagine like a hang glider in the moonlight just leaving the shadows on the tops of the trees and things just moving aside and, and you know still i'm sure if you asked her today she still would blame that on me yeah. like like i would kick up the fire randomly at some point just to make things even better just just to put the cherry on the sunday if you will you should, you should have told her it's the only way to heat things up in this marriage <laughs> oh my god it was so funny um and then this thing just flew away you know and so i had to do some research into it and when i found out i forget the name of the bad sort of version of the thunderbird but I can tell you, they're out there. I saw one. Wow. They're big, and they could really mess up your world. One of those grabs you have no problem flying away with you. Wow. No problem whatsoever. It was truly monstrous. The coolest sort of encounter I had. Makes the whole Bigfoot encounter I had sort of pale in comparison. Yeah. Now, where was this again? Lubeck, Maine. Lubeck, Maine. Wow. Jack's campground right off of there, right there by the old IGA. You know that right there. Yeah, yeah. No, nope, I definitely out, I definitely know the area. Out the road a piece down there. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> You've had some great stories. I want to talk about another one before we go. I mean, I could talk all night, but uh, I saw a video on this and I've been there before and I loved what you had to say about this. Let's talk about the little people of Middlebury, the folklore. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Well, you know, our friend Nicholas does a lot of stuff there. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I would read about it. And I'm like, well, how, if we as CSIS don't get down there, you know, what are we? And of course, I did all this online research. It's given me all this contradictory information on how to get there. And I'm like, oh, my God, I got to park over there by by uh, the McFly's restaurant. What's it called there? Mayhe McFly's. You know, yeah. somebody said to go that way, but make sure... The manager knows you're there. And then another person said, you got to climb up all this stuff. Finally, I just GPS it. And I'm like, state parks, boom, took me right there. So you've been there? Yeah. It's real easy. Yeah. Um, but you know the history of that place. And uh, it's it's vague. So the history, as far back as I could go, was that it was a trolley line for Kwasi, which That's is what I heard too, yeah. very old amusement park. It makes perfect sense. <laughs> What, bear with me, what didn't make sense, and I'm a construction worker, I work in housing, was the way they were built. 
ID structures are tiny, you know, maybe some of them are pretty sizable, but the general idea is about somebody that would occupy them maybe three feet tall. Well, I mean, you wouldn't use reinforced steel heating ducts. You wouldn't use steel grating. You wouldn't use terracotta plumbing, um, which would be, which would require a lot of masonry. You wouldn't use um, concrete reinforced windows. You would make this an attraction. You would make it a facade. This thing, the reason this village is still there is because it was built like you don't build things today. You, just you wouldn't build a, a regular house with the kind of construction that's going on there. Some of the some of the materials I saw there, some of the carvings in stone, it, it makes no sense. And so anytime you have an abandoned place like that, uh, and I'm sure we're, we're getting into the paranormal a little bit here, um, but we went there bearing gifts and unfortunately there was people there we couldn't follow through yeah. the investigation there. But if you go past that village a little bit, you get to a swamp. Did you go to the swamp? There are an awful lot of tires from the highway just above the swamp, just above the village. There's a highway that goes through there. And it just gives the appearance of an awful lot of car accidents happening right above that place. Mm-hmm. And then the granite boulders that are there by the swamp as part of the power lines that they put in, and then the high-powered power lines. you got a creepy place there. you got some strange history. You, know, you must know the folklore history that the woman that lived in the land wanted them built, and her poor husband kept building these things until the voices drove them a little nuts, and they kept doing it, and it was tragic for both people. You know, I, and I looked into that, talked to the historians, and it just, there's no evidence of that. We wanted to do some EVPs, but we didn't, uh, because the people that were there, we were sort of limited. Uh, we were going to do some cleanup and make some offerings there and see what we could get. And I still want to do that. And I decided I'd go there in the colder weather and try it then, less ticks and, and stuff to deal with. Um, but so there you have this village. It would absolutely appeal to pucks, even if they didn't, even if it wasn't built for them. Uh, that place is just creepy. It's yeah. it's a real Connecticut gem. The state's doing a terrible job promoting that. There's no signage. No, I know. People, you're just parking in their driveways, and and they don't. Okay, you don't have to restore it, but could you clean it up, do some excavating, and you could have a real nice tourist attraction. You hear me all the time praising the Connecticut Department of Tourism doing a great yeah. job. And, you know, what did I figure? They owe me about $385,000 um, for doing their job for them. I calculated in one of the videos one time <laughs> because I put these places on the map. And then, then we get reports of people going there, like the East Kent Hamlet. What a great place that is. No one used to ever go there. We went there recently. There's a whole bunch of people there. Oh, really? So what's yeah, that? What, what's down there? Oh, man. What is it? There? Uh, it's right off of Lake Warmog, which had uh, the BFRO had a report there 
um, around Christmas time. And uh, so we went and, you know, right away I was like, oh, whatever, there's a lot of people. So we just drove around. We found this place, the East Kent Hamlet. And check out our videos. It's one of the nicest places. It's free. We go swim in there. There's waterfalls there. Uh, there's some old mining structures. There's some really cool geology. It's varied landscape. A lot of acorns, a lot of deer. It's such a cool hidden place. We find a ton of these places. That's one of the things um, that our videos are really great for is, you know, we find these out of the way places. And, Man, holy moly, the stuff we find. Today, we were, we were up at the top of Mohawk Mountain. I go there all the time because the only, only peat bog in Connecticut is there. Well, there's always this pullover where a lot of people are. And finally, one day, we decide to go. And I find the top of the ski lodge. All the equipment is there. There's a pond there. So all this cool stuff, an old tower with, with um, you know, like a bronze bolts. So something crazy was attached to that. And... You know, that that's the kind of stuff we find East Kent Hamlet and places like that. If you if you seek out these little nature preserves, land trusts, not just the parks, you're gonna find some crazy stuff. We were at a state park um, in in Cornwall, at Beak Beckley State Forest. Uh, we're there, and that's an old iron furnace from the 1800s. Really cool structure. You got to go there. Um, that's one of the places like I'm talking about. Well, about two miles in, we were there in the winter squatching. There's a lot of a lot of tracks there. It's a nice place to squatch. Um, there was this iron bed frame. I thought it was a weird structure, so I grabbed it. And I'm like, oh boy, it's a bed frame. It's, but it's a child's bed. It's cast iron. It's like, what the hell is this child's bed doing two miles out in the woods off trail? Mm -hmm. It's crazy. There's some really unusual stuff out there in Connecticut. Well, I think that's another idea for a book for you because I have this book, several books on 50 best hikes in Connecticut, 50 best trails. I would like to see a book by you. 50 best cryptid hikes in Connecticut. <laughs> we got them. No. We got them. Oh, man, do we got them. You know? Oh, yeah. No, but well, the I have to swamp itself right there. I mean, wow, that place is that's that's squatchy. Yeah. yeah. Well, I know where it is. I'm gonna. I haven't been down there in a long time. I was. Uh, I'm gonna promote this book again. You and I are both in it. True Ghost Stories of Connecticut, featuring local people with their stories, and you have a great story about Robin Swamp. I have one about in Mystic. Uh, yeah, I read it. I read it. Yeah, yeah. The book cover to cover. I loved it. Yeah. No, I got to show you that. I wish I showed you when I saw you. When I see you again, I'm going to show you that the real picture that I gave Charles is much clearer than what's in the book. I mean, I gave it to him and he put, did the best he could, but the, it's so crystal clear of the two boys in the window. And it matched the story that they were telling. It was like two boys died during the Civil War period and they were very playful. They loved to show themselves. Took the picture and that showed up. But I took about 50 or 60, maybe not that much, maybe like 25, 30 pictures to see if it was real or not. I mean, maybe it was a glare, maybe it was a, which I didn't take a flash. It wasn't a flash, but nothing. Just that one time I got that picture and it was so crystal clear. In the book, it's not as clear. So if you do buy the book, um, it's, 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 I am a huge fan of anything cryptid, anything paranormal. I'm very much open minded to anything 
can be true. Anything can happen. And so I, I love people like you that are out there exposing it, bringing it to people's attention and helping people that might be afraid to come forward and say, you know what? It's all right. Yeah, that's what we hear the most is that they're so, uh, first of all, they're glad somebody doesn't think they're crazy and that they actually have someone to report to. Yeah. And uh, that we try to bring them some comfort. You know, a lot of times we're able to say, especially with our Bigfoot sightings, well, you know, it's interesting you say that because somebody about five miles down the road had a similar encounter. Once you can tell that to these people, once someone in their community had a similar experience, it's no longer, okay, I'm crazy. It's a community yeah. thing now. Yeah, so that's, that seems to be one of the biggest services we're providing is to, to just connect people like, uh, like the people with the creepy crawlers and stuff. You're not the only one and it's in this area and it's, it's, it's isolated to this area. So that, that seems to be really important. Yeah. Well, we've been talking for probably two hours, 45 minutes. I can go on for another three hours. But before we go, though, um, I know there's probably many things that I did not go over. Is there anything that you want to talk about that I did not mention? Any creatures, any paranormal, just stories and more stories about your ex-wife? <laughs> no, come on. She's all right. It wasn't her fault. It was the bad Thunderbird. <laughs> it was a setup from day one uh, <laughs> in front of a lot of jokes um, yeah. and i'm just not going to dwell on it she's all right i know i'm making i'm making a joke too like you said i like to have a lot of fun too and so uh, i know you have a good uh, sense of humor so uh, you didn't you didn't mention the glowacus oh okay let's talk about that glowacus um in in about the 1840s in the glastonbury area this this large cat-like creature was uh, wreaking havoc with the livestock. And, you know, of course, any wild animal back then wasn't allowed to exist anyway. Well, we're going to go get it. You know, we're going to get a bunch of drunk guys together. We're going to go shoot anything alive. Um, but this Glowacus is, uh, you know, it's a lot like the dog with the mane that my, my old boss described. Um, and he had this, like, he was really a big shot, like, like uh, Bigfoot in the 70s was, you know, it was like, Everybody was after this team. There was hunting teams after him. You know, it made these incredible noises. It was it was um, all these all these livestock killings were attributed to it, and and people, the old ladies getting chased by it. It's a great great cryptid. Just sort of disappeared and doesn't really pop up much anymore. But it's good to know that that was a a, a true Connecticut cryptid that maybe should be mentioned before we. Call it a night. So if you're in that Glastonbury area and you see a little dog, lion, cat thing, uh, today we'd probably call it a fisher cat because oh, yeah. that's what they do. That's how they look and that's how they sound. Yeah. Um, and if you would have wiped out all the animals back then and they just sort of disappeared from your habitat, you wouldn't have that cultural reference. And so this thing come around making all kinds of noise. Then when they're looking for mates, they make those noises. And if there's no response, it's it's just going to, you know, it's like a guy in his 20s. It's just going to keep howling. Where are you? You know, I'm ready to go out with you. Got the dad's car and let's go have some fun, you know? Yeah. So it's out there looking to mate, making crazy noises. That's what fisher cats do. Um, but there's no guarantee the Glowacus was a fisher cat. It, mm -hmm. it actually sounded, again, more canine, you know, than, than, than feline. 
Wow. So uh, maybe they just became extinct. Maybe at one time there wasn't that many, and or they evolved into the Fisher cat. Maybe that's, I don't know. Or, you know, just habitat deprivation, and that was yeah. the last of the, the breeding pair, and, you know, it died out. It just, it yeah. just went extinct. And yeah, we, don't but, know. we really don't know. Well, I have a book called Curious New England, and I there was one time where I was just going through the book. I'm like, all right, let me check this place out. What's your opinion on, did you ever hear, I think they're called the melon heads of Danbury or Brookfield. Did you ever hear of those? Yeah. You know, Nicholas Robert goes into quite, you know, when he communicates with me, he always, we always go roundabout. you know, we go to Dogman yeah. and Puck Wedges, but he always goes right back to the melon heads and man, they are just the whole thing. That's a, it's a again, unique Connecticut folklore. Yeah. I mean, the whole, the, the, the story that, gets me is the one with the car that was the police scan the license plate and it hadn't been registered for 25 years but it was the identical car that was being described driven by the melon heads oh wow it's my favorite melon head story you know the police uh, somebody actually wrote down the license plate of the car they were using and the police were hesitant to report them because that car hadn't been re-registered since you know since 25 years past wow but it was on this, registered to a, a house on the same road and all this, and there it was in pristine condition, you know, mint like you like you wanted, like a big Bel Air or something, you know. I forget the make of the car, um, but they're, they're very scary. They're like, they they seem to have that same sort of creepy crawly, scary crawler thing. Is nothing good happens when you encounter some of these cryptids. They 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 can be harbingers like the black eyed kids whoa oh yeah oh my goodness we don't i've never gotten a report of black eyed kids in connecticut but man they are creepy i would say a lot of the same stuff that happened to the black eyed kids you could draw um, a comparison to the melon heads yeah i interviewed a ufologist maybe two years ago and he was talking about them i guess he i don't know if he investigated reports of people but he, he was just talking about the folklore of the uh the black eyed kids so it was similar to that movie children of the damned it was a i haven't seen oh yeah it's, it's, a, it's a good horror movie it was a remake done by jack carpenter which is actually better but yeah I, I, I he told me some stories where they're just i think was their car broke down and they're just yeah it's 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 pretty uh, creepy yeah let me in they, they knock on your door they get you when your car's broken up and they just have this desire to either get in the car or get in the house. And, you know, it's said of them that there are a whole bunch of reports. This seems to happen in the deserts an awful lot in our yeah. deserts in those regions um, that there are reports of the people that say no. Once you say no, they seem to be powerless. But prior to that, they seem to be very hypnotic and very suggestive. Yeah. And what it's said in, in about them is that there are no reports of people letting them in mm -hmm. because the thinking is that those people end up dead. So wow. there are no reports of them coming in. Only people at the last second saying, no, you can't come in. Where are your parents? And then they'll leave. If you forcefully say no, but there are no reports of anyone letting them in. Yeah, that's... It's another airy folklore. I, I love these stories. It's a cryptid we could do without. Quite yes, right. exactly. 
There's enough in Connecticut. I think I've hinted at we have an abundance of really creepy ones. Yeah. We have our share of squatches, uh, yeah. but no, we don't need the, the BEKs, the black eyed kids. We don't. Yeah, no, it well. seems like every state has their own thing. The you know the Mothman, the Mothman's cool. Yeah, the Mothman is very cool. Where's that? Is cool. Where's that? West Virginia. West Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Yeah, right. The TNT out there. That that's another. That, that's there. another one. I I read the book. Before. I, I saw the movie, and the movie was it was it was entertaining, but nowhere near as compelling and as oh. interesting as the book. But the, the that's another one they think that might be. Um, alien related, or it might be because, uh, and the, the whole thing where it predicts like every time somebody saw it, something bad would happen. It's, it's really interesting. Yeah, you know, and there, there are other cryptids. Goat boy or goat man does that yeah. too. You know, they're harbingers of, you know, like the bird I talk about. Like some of them are seem to be there as warnings to you, you know, or people. Um, but then again, you know, if the bridge collapsed and there was a big thing there, it doesn't take a lot to sort of connect them together. Mothman is so cool. It, it's kind of like this thing. It's like the Glowak. It's, it's, it just appears and then it's sort of not there. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of like appears again in other places. Um, but Mothman, wow, uh, that's another cool. West Virginia has more cryptids than any other state in America. Have you ever investigated down there? No, I, I I would love to get down there. I have friends in the area, and yeah, I would love. They got the Snally Gaster down there. Wait, what's that one? That one Snally like Gaster is like like a dragon, you know, nocturnal <laughs> dragon that flies around and does what dragons do, you know. You know what you gotta do? You gotta start doing what Charles Rosene does. Just start bringing people on tours to all these places. <laughs> you know. The camera person talks about that. You know, we we really should set up some Bigfoot tours. And Bigfoot's a big celebrity. You know, you I'm surprised you haven't hung out with him yet. I know. Well, <laughs> Bigfoot's too cool for me. I guess like, I've, I've been trying to. I've been walking through the woods, trying to make you know make peace, make amends, but nothing. It's just, yeah, bigger than a rock star. You know, believe me. You'll, I know. Personally, I think celebrity. Yeah, you know, personally, I think Bigfoot's a little. Forget Bigfoot's more big head, a little too full of himself. <laughs> <laughs> He's a big player in the cryptid community for sure. <laughs> well, when I will, I promise, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a picture with that damn thing one day. <laughs> Add it to my collection. <laughs> Me too. Yes. Me too. I'm trying to. Yep. We talk uh, about tackling it. Like we encourage you <laughs> to see it, to not shoot it, but tackle it, subdue it, and contact us immediately. Don't contact the authorities. But we also say if you end up injured or dead because of it, we're not responsible. <laughs> <laughs> tackle it, but if you get hurt. Yeah, yeah. every tackle it. Anything bad happens, it's not on us. <laughs> we warned you about doing it, but encouraged you to do it. I like that. <laughs> they, they have to learn to read the fine print. <laughs> you're yeah. not responsible for any death dismemberment or any injuries at all any any life-threatening injuries or maiming or any uh, taken hostage or any of that stuff and say i would absolutely not do it myself but yeah. you know if you're knucklehead enough to do it yeah by all means capture that guy i have a feeling it's good if you run after i think it's gonna be like hitting a brick wall it's just go boom yeah oh, it's, <laughs> you're, not, you're not gonna that thing's not gonna things gonna look at you and just 
Okay, and pick you up with one arm, <laughs> flinging you like a raccoon. <laughs> There's a report of a farm where a bull escaped, um, and a kid was down there, and uh, the, the bull was an angry bull, and it was heading towards this child. It had busted the gate open, and it's heading towards this child, and a female Sasquatch runs out of the woods, punches the bull one punch dead, knocked it down dead one punch, looked at the kid and walked back to the woods. <laughs> That's not our report. That's, That's from Cundiff, but that, that, that demonstrates the kind of strength on a female Bigfoot you might be dealing with if you were to run into one or tackle one, which we encourage you to do, but take no responsibility for. Again, read the fine print. <laughs> That's right. It's all in the fine print. It's very fine. <laughs> another creature, which I don't think, I'm not sure if there's any Connecticut stories, but another one that intrigues me is the chupacabra, the goat sucker. Okay. Do, do yeah. we have any reports in Connecticut? <clears throat> I know it's more Mexico, right? Puerto Rico? It's, no, Puerto uh, you know, it's funny. We talk about um, the, the evolution of dogs. Dogs becoming probably the, the most able to shapeshift. For whatever reason, I don't even know. Um, but down in, in Puerto Rico, of course, the chupacabras, the goat sucker, yeah. and it's this sort of alien looking guy with spikes on his back and, you know, wings and, and like, I think wings and like teeth that can, like vampiric teeth that can sort of suck the blood of these things. But as you move to different, as it goes into Mexico, it takes on a different shape. It starts to get dog-like features. As you go into Texas, it becomes a dog outright. And then there's that woman that has the taxidermy chupacabra. Yeah. Right. And it's got these weird pads in the back of its legs. It looks like it's got mange because it's got no hair. But mange, mange is apparent. It makes the skin irritated. It's, it's ugly. This is an animal that's hairless. Of course, I've been to Texas. I'm sure you've been there. It's hot as could be. You don't really need that. But that chupacabra seems to, the folklore seems to evolve and change. But the constant is that it's going to prey on cattle and drink blood. Yeah. Um, but it changes from sort of this large bug, like almost like a puck wedgie creature to a dog as it reaches the main the mainland of the United States. We don't. The only thing we have close to it would be my dog, my old boss talking about the lion dog. Yeah. Possibly a Glovacus that might fit in real nice there. Yeah. We have no, nothing directly like that yet, but it sure does seem to be migrating our way. So I wouldn't be surprised. There is the, um, the Franklin beast, the hyenas that are seen up in Maine. Mm -hmm. um, that's, you know, I've been to Franklin. It's it's very cold up there, and um, that that fella, he was on the History Channel talking about it, um, the Beast of Franklin or, or the Franklin Beast, and they have some video of it. They have a very compelling video of this black dog again, and uh, that could fit in nicely as you evolve, as you come up our way. Your chupacabra would certainly need more hair than what it needs in the Caribbean and in Texas. It would need a substantial coat of fur to survive yeah. biologically. Yeah. 
there's a, there's a lot of things out there. And this is a great way to look at it, too, for people who are afraid to say, oh, my God, it can't be true because no, it, nobody, it never it doesn't exist. How many times, like, animals way, way back who never nobody ever knew about, but then we found out there's a new species, and then we named that, and then we found there's another species named that. So it's the same thing. There's all these things that we probably don't know about, and they do exist. It's just that they haven't been found yet. I mean, they're seen here and there, but for the most part, they're not as common as seeing a deer or a rabbit. But back, way, way back, those things were probably like, oh, my God, there's this weird thing in the woods. It's got two ears, two big ears, and it hops a lot. You're like, yeah, you know. water with stuff all over it, vegetation yeah. all over it. They look like a submarine when they're coming out of the water with all that stuff on it. You know, they, they, yeah. they reach the surface. Yeah. Uh, you know, the other day, and I get a lot of this stuff on my newsfeed and my phone, um, a, a species of giant Galapagos tortoise was thought extinct, was found. Um, there's strong evidence for the thylacine, the Tasmanian tiger. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's all kinds of every day. Yeah, you hinted on it. An animal is discovered. And unfortunately, probably two or three for every one that we discover gets pushed into extinction. But there are some new species of whale was discovered. I mean, come on. Uh, the Architeuthis, the giant squid was only recently caught on camera. And now the guy seems like he just wants to be caught on camera all the time. And before that, he was the Kraken. I mean, and this, you know, they're over 150 feet long. That's a scary thing right there, just in its biological state. Eyes the size of dinner plates. Yeah. It's, it's a monster. It's a genuine freaking monster. Its skin is covered in a concentrated ammonia. So if you touch it, it's caustic. Wow. Toxic and caustic. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. In a good way. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy ever really bad. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's I think it's really misunderstood. <laughs> Yeah, Arcatooth is a giant squid. He's, he's a softy, really. He's a good guy. Yeah, yeah. He, he's no big fuck. He's all right, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah. Callan, I think you're doing a great thing. I love what you're doing with the CCIS. Uh, keep up the great work. And one, I definitely want to go hiking with you and Nicholas. Oh, yes, yes. Two, I, I would love to see you not only come out with a book, but maybe I love your film. Oh, actually, before we go, I want I want to promote you a little bit. So where can people find you? Let's talk about that first. Uh, you could look up the Connecticut Cryptid Investigative Society, just as you see it behind me here. I can yep. There it is. Um, and uh, that, if you just type that in on any social media, you'll find us. Um, if you spell it out specifically like that, if you look up CCIS, there's this corporation that's probably real ticked off that there's this, you know, Monster hunters marring up their whole like boring business stuff, um, but they're all over the place. We're out there. It, we are not hard to find. If you're familiar with Facebook or YouTube or Instagram, we're all over Instagram. We get a lot of stuff um, from Paracon. We've had over 15,000 views on that one alone. So it's not hard to find us. Yeah. And if people want to get in touch with you because they saw something that's odd, what do they do they email you? Uh, we have an email. The best way is probably to go to report it through our Facebook. Okay. Message me or message on our, our group page, message CSIS directly. Um, 
We have an email, but honestly, at the moment, I, I don't remember. I hate email. Camera person. What's our email? CCIS reports one. CCIS reports one. CCIS reports one. Yeah. Okay. That's where you find us on the internet. At what? Gmail. At Gmail. CCS, CCIS reports one at gmail.com. You see, the camera person is the heart of the show, really. That's what we do. Well, on my side, all you hear is a voice. So thank you, voice from beyond. <laughs> <laughs> camera person, I've tried to get them on camera, but she wants to stay anonymous. She said that's the, the mystery of what we do. Who is the camera person? Ooh. I can tell you the camera person does not eat skunk cabbage. Well, come on. We, we already broke one secret on the show. Let's break another one. Who is he? But. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not gonna say. I'm gonna keep that one. I, I don't want to. I'm already in enough trouble with the Meriden Triangle. All right. Well, you know what? This luckily, where I am filming this, so if you go missing after this interview, we know exactly what happened. Paul <laughs> oh, David Pilate is missing four one one. If I just randomly go go <laughs> missing, it might it might be the camera person. I'm yes. just saying. I'm not saying the I'm last not, known thing was I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I'm not saying it was aliens, but oh, let me do my sick looks. I'm not saying it was aliens, but it was aliens. Yeah. <laughs> sick looks, you, you need to get some real hair. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so approximately how many reports do you get, say a week, a month of people reporting different cryptids? Uh, you know, um, about about every two weeks, and it seems to be uh, it picks up after summer. I don't know why. Is it? You would think it would be just the opposite, but we get more reports in autumn and winter and spring than summer. Yeah, I wonder if it has something to do with Halloween. Everybody's in the mood. It's just like I mean, unless maybe the I mean maybe they're more. Uh, they're not as shy during the fall. I don't know, but it's just uh, maybe I think that time of the year, everybody's into the the uh, unknown, the... Uh, yeah. The, the, but I just... So I think, so you get probably what, about how many every two weeks, did you say? Or one yeah. report every two weeks? Yeah, we get a report every two weeks, about on average, if we had to say. Yep. <clears throat> and so you do this for free then? You so If somebody wants... Oh, absolutely. To okay. yeah, no, we're not going to charge you. We're going to... You know, if we go out and follow up on reports, that's going to add to our um, our histories and our studies. And it, we, of course, uh, promote it on our site. So we get a lot of that. We, we do this for fun. Yeah. Uh, we do it for free. We don't charge anybody. If you send us a report, that's the last thing you need. You know, there's a bunch of people back in your backyard that just charge you 100 bucks you know, because you, you wanted to reach out. No, it's free. We don't charge. Yeah. No, I think that's great. And I know I was joking around before, but do you take people who are interested with you if they want to go on an investigation with you? Yes. Yeah. And, and you just raised the price. It's now $60. No, we will. Yeah. We, we love taking people yeah. with us. We're trying to do more of that in the future. Um, because it, it's just been mostly the camera person and myself, and and we started that we took a musician, my friend Dave, out, you know, and that was the whole skunk cabbage episode. It was great, yeah. and so we're going to be doing more of that. So, 
Get your go find a nice squatch and stick and practice your hobbles. Oh, okay. I'll, I still have a little more practice to do, but yeah, I will get yeah. this down for you next no. time. Oh! You know, and I shouldn't do that this late at night on a farm, but um, <laughs> that's the general idea. And, and when you get out in the field and you start doing it, you just, you can't stop. It's, it's just so exhilarating, you know. It's very satisfying to yell at trees. <laughs> it's, it's very therapeutic. It is. It is. It is. Squatch therapies. <laughs> I love it. See, you got, I mean, tell you, you have a whole line of books. You could write yeah. cryptid tours, cryptid creatures, cryptid therapy. Mugs. <laughs> we got the documentary coming out any day now. Oh, we, we could probably piece together some footage and do that, you know. I know. I love it. 120 investigations and counting. We got footage. Yeah. And definitely, I, I, as I mentioned before, I saw probably maybe about, approximately about 20 videos out of the 100-something you did, and I loved everyone, and I'm definitely going to be watching more of them later on. So, Colin, thank you very much for being on the show. It was great uh, to have you. A lot of fun. Uh, thank you. Um, listen, all kidding aside, uh, you're doing a great thing, and I thank you for giving us the opportunity to come on your show and to to have you know some questions thrown our way i'm sure people wonder a lot of the, they wonder about the same things you ask so i appreciate that you gave us this forum to talk about ceases thank you oh you're very welcome and you know what you have unlimited access to the show anytime you want to be on here you have something to say you you have carte blanche all right when i get some good evidence when i get some new stuff we're always out there all right all right. Well, definitely. As soon as you do, let me know. I'll, I'll book you for another and I'll send you that Zoom link. We'll, we'll talk. All right, Richard. It was a real honor. Thank you again. Always a pleasure. Yep. And good night, camera person. Ah! <laughs> All right. That wraps up the latest episode of The Claws Corner. A huge thanks goes out to Poet, Goodwill Ambassador, and Cryptic Invest Cryptic Investigator Colin Haskins for taking time out of his busy schedule to be on the show. I also need to thank editor extraordinaire John Bristol of Elmwood Productions for always doing a superb job editing this show each and every week and making it available to all. And lastly, but definitely not least, I need to thank you, the viewer, for always tuning in. Enjoy your day, everyone. Diaphragm again? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ha! We caught one. They're supposed to be weird. Oh, yeah, no. If you say so. I've always wanted to be in a movie.